Amen. If you would turn in your Bible with me to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians in the New Testament in chapter 13. We are almost done with our series through this letter called Through Human Weakness. And so I'm excited that we have God's Word for us today. I think it's a helpful passage for us today. And I'm looking forward for us to hearing from God. So here's what God says to us through the Apostle Paul, chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. This is the Word of God. This is the third time that I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may do no wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, that we get to come in this room each week and we get to open this book and hear, God, from you. And so, Lord, we're thankful that you're speaking through Paul, your servant, as he's writing to this church in Corinth, God. But we know that these are living and active words, God, and that you are speaking to us here and now. So would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our hearts to receive? Would you open our eyes to see Jesus? as we see the depths of our sin and examine our own hearts and lives. And God, would you help us to see Jesus? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So back in January, I got COVID for the very first time. I had a good run. I went almost four years without getting COVID, but it finally got me and I'm just there at the doctor. And don't you just love going to the doctor? They make you sit in the waiting room forever knowing that you feel terrible. Stick things down your nose and up your nose and down your throat. And a lot of times they just don't even know what's wrong with you. They run all their tests. They ask all their questions. And they just can't figure out what the problem is. Now, I'm thankful for the common grace of medical care. I'm thankful to have doctors to go to. I'm thankful to have medicine to take. 
But sometimes it's just not enough. Sometimes they can't find the problem. Sometimes it just doesn't work. I think we can feel that way about our own personal problems sometimes too. We can't seem to figure out why we feel angry all the time. We can't seem to figure out why we just feel discontent with life. We can't figure out why we just can't let go of the bitterness towards someone else. We don't know what to do about our struggle with lust. We don't know how to stop feeling anxious. We don't know why our love for God can feel so cold. And at times we can just feel hopeless and helpless. We can look at the problems in our lives and feel like we're just sitting at a doctor's office and they've got no clue what's wrong. But friends, there's good news for us today. We're not helpless and we're not hopeless. We've come to the great physician and today he's speaking to us from his word. You see, he's going to help us see ourselves rightly and he's going to expose the problem beneath all of our problems. You see, the Bible would say that problem is what God calls sin. It's a dangerous problem. It can deceive us. It seeks to destroy us. But listen, God is in the business of rescuing people from their sin, and he has given us his word today so that he might do that for us. So God's speaking through Paul here at the end of this letter And he's warning us about our sin. He's calling us to to look at our lives, to examine ourselves. And you see, he's pointing us today to the only hope that we have to deal with our sin. And that hope is Jesus, who died for our sin. So let's hear what God has to say to us today from his word. I want us to see first that sin is dangerous. Sin is dangerous. So Paul is finishing up this letter he's writing to the Corinthian church. He tells them there in verse 1, he's planning to visit them a third time. And then he just says this out of the blue. Look at what he says. He says, Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 19, but why? What's his point? Well, when he's planning to show up this third time, he wants to make these charges against a group who is causing trouble in the church. Notice what he says in verse 2. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did while present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. You see, there was these people in the Corinthian church who were leading a rebellion against Paul. They were causing division in the church, and trying to get others to reject his leadership over them. That's why he came the second time to deal with this problem. It didn't go very well, so he left, and he's planning now to come back a third time so that this church can deal with this once and for all. Now, you might look at these verses and think, man, Paul is just harsh. He's not going to spare the people who sinned? Man, where's the grace and where's the love, right? I mean, don't we all sin? I mean, some of you are like, man, we argued the whole way to church this morning. If Paul were here today, he'd surely be wanting to to deal with us, right? 
When, when he says those who sinned before, he's talking about a specific group of people. And these people are refusing to repent of their sin. They're just going to continue causing these divisions in the church. They're not interested in stopping. See, there's two groups of people here in the church. There's a group who have heard Paul's warnings and they have repented. But then there's this other group who are sinning and are continuing in their sin. And so Paul's coming to deal with that second group of people. He's not the sin police coming to punish everyone for everything that they've done since he saw them last. He's coming to deal with those who are refusing to turn from their sin. And in fact, what they're doing is they're trampling on the cross of Jesus and disgracing his empty tomb. Look at what he goes on to say. There in verse 3, he says, Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. You see, these people who are continuing in their sin, they have forgotten that Jesus was crucified for our sin. If you think God doesn't hate our sin, you don't understand the cross of Jesus. God hates our sin so much that he is willing to send his own son to die to deal with our sin. If sin were no big deal to God, there would be no cross. Our holy and righteous God must deal with our sin. And in his love and grace, God dealt with it on the cross. And so listen, to continue in unrepentant sin is to trample on the cross where Jesus died to take our sin away. And there's more there, right? These people who are continuing in their sin have forgotten that Jesus is alive, right? Yes, he was crucified in weakness, Paul says, but he lives now by the power of God. He is alive. And he's coming to bring righteous judgment against anyone who will oppose him. So listen, to continue in unrepentant sin is to disgrace the empty tomb of Jesus, the one who was raised to set us free from sin. So Paul, Paul's not after a sinlessly perfect church. He knows we will struggle. He's coming to deal with the problem of these people who refuse to stop their sin. The people who refuse to see the dangerous nature of their sin. You know, one time I was on a mission trip in Honduras in Central America. We were headed up this mountain to a village. And so we're riding on this bus on the, the tiniest road I think I've ever seen in my life. On the right side, you got, oh, wow, look at the mountain up there. On the left side, you got a cliff that's just leading to certain death, right? We're just dead if we go down that, you know? Like every turn, I'm just a nervous wreck thinking, we're, this is it. This is the one. We're, we're, going, we're, we're going down this mountain and we're going to be dead. I'm sure most everybody on the bus felt that way. All of us Americans did at least. You know who wasn't nervous at all? The bus driver. This guy's just riding up the mountain, you know what I mean? 
doing this thing that he does probably multiple times a day. That's how we can treat our sin, right? It could just be normal for us. Hey, this is just something I do every day, right? We can be numb to the dangers of our sin. And we can make excuses for our sin. We can say, man, I was stressed, so stressed, that's why I yelled at you. We can pretty it up and say, it's a prayer request, it's not gossip. We can blame other people. They're the reason that we're having this disagreement. God today in his grace is like flashing a warning sign to us. He's like standing there at the cliff saying, your sin is far more dangerous than you think. You will trample on the cross and deny the empty tomb if you continue to live in your sin. And I know that we like to think that other people's sin is a big deal and ours is okay, not that big a deal. But God is reminding us of the dangers of our own sin. God is graciously telling us, your sin is more dangerous than you think. And so here's what I think we should do. When we sin and we will sin, we should run to Jesus. God is not warning us of the dangers and then refusing to help us when we fall. He's not saying you're about to fall off of this cliff and then when we're falling, refusing to do anything about it. He's given us Jesus. And Jesus laid down his life to forgive us and to cleanse us and to make us new. And so we should run to Jesus when we sin. We should experience the kindness of repentance. When other people in our church sin, we should call them to run to Jesus and to experience the kindness of repentance. The problem is not just that we sin. The problem here is refusing to run to Jesus and repent of our sin. And so church, Jesus has died and he is alive. And so let's run to him and find the grace that will forgive us and cleanse us of our sins. Let's never run, never grow numb to the dangers of our sin. Sin is dangerous. Secondly, in our passage, sin is deceiving. It deceives us. So Paul moves on here in verse 5, and he tells the church to examine themselves. Listen again to verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? When he says in the faith, he means by that someone who is believing the good news of Jesus and living according to the ethical teachings of Jesus. Someone we would call a Christian. So he's saying, examine yourselves to see if you really are Christians. Now, why would he say that? Isn't he writing a letter to a church full of Christians? Here's why he says that, because he knows our sin can deceive us. Sin came into the world through deception in the garden, didn't it? And it seems like this church is being deceived about Paul's love and care for them. That's what he says in verses 6 and 8. Listen to them again. He says, I hope you have found out that we have not failed the test, 
But we pray to God that you may do no wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may have seemed to failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. What's he saying there? Well, it seems like there's people in this church who are not only questioning whether or not Paul should be their leader, there's some people questioning whether or not Paul is actually a believer. Is he actually a Christian? Some are thinking, listen, Paul's not even a follower of Jesus. But he doesn't care about how he appears. He cares about the truth, and he wants them to do the right thing. But man, just think about that. How much is sin deceiving their hearts if they think Paul is not even a Christian? I mean, just go read Acts 18 this afternoon. The man brought the good news of Jesus to their city. He spent a year and a half with them, discipling them and teaching them. He is their father in the faith. And now they're questioning whether or not he is actually in the faith. Why would they do that? Well, their sin is deceiving them. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this about our sinful hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our sinful hearts can deceive us into thinking what will harm us was actually going to be good for us. Our sinful hearts can deceive us about the intentions and motives of others. Our sinful hearts can deceive us as we judge and our other people and we justify ourselves. Listen, sin will deceive us about anything and everything. Sin can actually deceive us about our own faith. Notice Paul is writing to people who he believes to be Christians. He says that. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? But notice he also leaves room for maybe there's some people there who aren't Christians. It's as if indeed you failed to meet the test. Listen, what he's saying here is huge. Don't miss what he's saying. He's saying it's possible to not be a Christian and think that you are. It's possible to not be a Christian, but you think that you are. Sin can deceive us so much into thinking that we are Christians, and in fact, we may not be. Listen, you could have a whole church full of people who are deceived into thinking that they are Christians when they are not. Maybe they professed Jesus as Lord at some point. Maybe they were baptized. Maybe they've been lifelong members of a church, but they are not really in the faith. I mean, wouldn't that be the ultimate deception of Satan to lead you to believe your whole life that you've been saved by Jesus only to realize when you stand before him that you're not? This is why God is calling us through Paul to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. So how do we do that? I mean, how can we know if, if my sin can deceive me, how can any of us even know? Well, here, here are three simple questions to ask yourself. Okay. Are you trusting Jesus right now? Are you turning from sin right now? Are you bearing fruit for Jesus right now? Let's think through those questions together. Are you trusting Jesus right now? 
So the defining mark of a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus for salvation. We are saved by faith in Jesus alone. That means completely trusting in his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his glorious resurrection. That means trusting in absolutely nothing you have done and nothing that you will do, but trusting completely in the finished work of Christ. So are you doing that? Are you doing that right now? I'm not asking, did you say a prayer at VBS when you were eight? Not asking if you were baptized or if you joined a church. Not asking if you grew up in a Christian home believing this stuff your whole life. I'm saying, are you trusting in Jesus alone right now? Trusting him to forgive you and to to redeem you, to welcome you home. If not, that's a good sign that you may not be in the faith. But if you are trusting Jesus right now, then that's a good sign that you are in the faith. Second question, are you repenting of your sin now? So, so hopefully you've already seen through our passage that unrepentant sin should cause us to question our faith. Listen, God knows we will continue to sin, and he can and he will forgive us in Christ. If we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The test is not, have you sinned today? You have, probably in ways that you don't even know. We all have, probably. That's not the test. The test is, how do you respond to your sin? Do you keep doing it over and over and over, or do you repent of it? Listen, it's, it's one thing to struggle with sin and hate it. It's another thing to keep on sinning and love it. So are you confessing your sins to God? Are you grieved over your sin? Are you turning from your sin right now? If not, that's probably a good sign that you may not be in the faith. But if you are, then that's a good sign that you are a Christian and God is working in you. So another question, last one, are you bearing fruit for Jesus right now? So listen, Jesus was pretty clear on this one. He's warning against false prophets in Matthew 7, and he says, you'll know them by their fruits. Just look at their lives. See the way they live, and you will know these people are not really Christians. Just look at the fruit they bear. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. So that's the question we must ask ourselves today. Am I bearing fruit for Jesus now in life? If someone were to look at my life right now, would they conclude that I'm following Jesus and I'm trying to obey his teachings? Do you love Jesus and do you obey Jesus? Do you spend time with him in prayer and in the word? Is your heart growing in affections for Jesus? Do you love other people? Do you serve other people? Do you care about the church? Do you care about the poor? Jesus called us to do all of these things. Just, I mean, just read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and ask yourself, is this me? Am I doing these things? And listen, of course, we're all going to stumble in many ways, but bearing fruit for Jesus right now, are we doing that? Are you obeying Jesus now? If not, 
that's a good sign that you may not be in the faith. But if you are, even if it's ever so small fruit, then that's a good sign that you are a Christian and Christ is living through you. So are you trusting Jesus now? Are you turning from sin now? Are you bearing fruit for Jesus now? God is calling us to examine ourselves today. Everyone in this room, examine yourself today. He wants us to do that so that we might know that we're in the faith. Now, let me, let me just say there might be some different responses that you're having right now. You know, we, we hear those kind of things and might respond in different ways. Some of you here today, you might not be a Christian and you know it. You're like, there ain't no deception going on here. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I know it. Listen, I'm glad you're here. You're in a good place today because you are hearing about the only message that can bring salvation to your soul. We are all lost sinners and our only hope is Jesus. And so today I want you to hear that the only thing that you can do to bring salvation is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, to turn from your sin and to trust Christ and to come and treasure him. So if that's you and you're like, yeah, I'm not a Christian, then why not do that today? Why not turn from your sin and believe in Jesus for the first time? Why not come and treasure Christ? If you do, Jesus will save you. He'll forgive you. He'll cover you with his grace and his mercy. So if that's what you're thinking today, then cry out to Jesus today. And he'll save you. Now, others here today might hear a message like this and you're starting to be filled with fear and anxiety. See your eyes like starting to get wide. Feel your blood pressure start to rise a little bit. Start to feel, oh man, that's not, that's me. I'm not a Christian. You know, maybe you're filled with fear about going to hell or anxious about God's love and forgiveness. Listen, God is not trying to make us fearful or anxious about our salvation. He does not want us to live in constant state of worry about our salvation. Listen, there's some preachers and some churches who think the whole Christian life is, should be just us waking up every day questioning whether or not we're Christians. It's not. There's so many reasons to have assurance in Christ, to rest in his comfort and his love, to to rest in his compassion and his care. God does not want us crushed under the weight of doubt. But listen, there are good times. It's good for us to examine ourselves. And God is not trying to trick us. He's not just waiting for us to fall. He loves us. And he wants what's good for us. And it's good for us at times to examine ourselves. So don't hear my message today and just run to fear and anxiety. Instead, run to Jesus. As Robert Murray McShane famously said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Yes, examine your life, but do it with your eyes on Jesus. Now, maybe one last response before we move on is some of us may just feel a little too confident in ourselves. Of course I'm a Christian. Why would he even want me to ask whether or not I'm a Christian? Of course I am. 
Maybe you've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you've prayed every single day of your life. Maybe you've read your Bible every single day. Maybe your whole life you've given exactly 10% every week to the church. Maybe you've led a community group. Maybe you've served as a deacon. Maybe you are a pastor of this church. It doesn't really matter. God wants all of us to examine ourselves. And so if you're feeling the temptation to ignore what God is saying, then, then don't do it. If you're like looking across the room, man, that guy over there really needs to examine whether or not he's a Christian. Then you need to hear God telling you, no, you're the one that needs to examine your heart. Listen, we must never be confident in ourselves. Our confidence must always be in Christ. Because the truth is, sin can deceive us. We need God's grace to rightly see our own sin. And praise God that he's given us Jesus. So let's all run to Christ as we examine ourselves. Sin is deceiving. Lastly, number three, as we close, sin is destructive. So as we're working through this text, you might get the feeling, man, Paul doesn't like these people. Maybe you think Paul is just wanting to come and clean house and just get rid of all these people causing problems. But notice his heart for them in verses 9 and 10. He says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things that I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in, in my use of the authority that the Lord Jesus has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul is praying for restoration. He wants to come this third time and build them up in the faith, not tear them down. Yes, Jesus has given him authority over this church, but he doesn't want to be severe with them. He wants there to be peace and unity and love. You see, Paul knows that sin will always lead to destruction. If this church doesn't deal with these people, it's going to destroy this church. And so he's willing to do the hard thing with, and deal with these people because it's for the good of the church. Paul doesn't want them destroyed. God doesn't want them destroyed. God is after our restoration. He wants to build us up in Christ, not tear us down. And so, brothers and sisters, that's what we should want too. Our sin can destroy us. It can destroy our relationships. It can destroy our marriages and our families. It can destroy our church. It can destroy our very souls. So what, what should we do? I'd like to say there's 10 easy steps to get rid of sin in your life, but it's not that easy. I'd like to say as a pastor, hey, I've learned the secret to this easy way to get rid of sin in your life. The more that I move on in life, I realize that that is certainly not the case. We could certainly today run to many places in God's word to find the help that we need to overcome our sin. Encourage you to do that. Hey, let's grab coffee this week and let's do that together. But I want us to notice one thing that Paul does here in verse 9. What does he do? He prays for them, right? Your restoration is what we pray for. We're called to put sin to death. We're called to pursue holiness and obedience 
But Paul knows, listen, you can't do it on your own. If we're going to deal with the sin in our own hearts, the sin in our lives, the sin in our church, then God will have to help us. And if God has to help us, then we have to pray. What a beautiful thing prayer is. Because of the finished work of Jesus, we can draw near to God in prayer. We can draw near to find the grace that we need, the strength that we need to turn from our sin. Because of Jesus, we can pray his prayer every day. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And because of Jesus, we can be confident that God wants to answer that prayer. Sin will destroy us, but praise God that Jesus can restore us. Jesus can build us up. And so let's turn our eyes to Jesus today as we pray for his help to deal with the sin in our lives. As we think about the dangers of sin, let's run to Jesus in prayer. As we think about how sin can deceive us, let's run to Jesus in prayer. As we think about how sin wants to destroy us, let's run to Jesus in prayer. As we examine ourselves, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus and let's run to him for the help that we desperately need. Because the truth is, Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is the one who died to pay for our sins. Jesus is the one who rose again to free us from our sin. Jesus is the one who is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. And do you know what he's doing? Every time we sin, he's saying, I paid for that with my blood. I paid for that sin. I paid for that one too. And I paid for that one. Jesus is the one who is coming again to destroy sin once and for all. If our problem is sin, then Jesus is the remedy. So let's receive God's word today. What a gracious word he is speaking about our sin. Let's examine our faith. Let's examine our hearts and our lives. And let's fix our eyes on the glory and the grace of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. What a grace it is to see the depths of our sin. But what an even more amazing grace it is to see the heights of your love and grace for us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, we just thank you for your word. Would you continue to speak through us? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.